I want you to be able to hear me, but not quite like that. Is that better? Louder? Is that good? Who do I see back there that knows? Can you hear? All right. Yes, I see thumbs up. Let us uh, pray together, and then we're going to look at Genesis 1 together this morning. God, we thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for this time. We thank you for this beautiful weather that you've given us, that just uh, your creation uh, proclaims your glory. We thank you for that. We thank you that we have this place to gather together today as your people. We pray that as we open your word, that you would speak to us clearly through your word, uh, that your spirit would move in this place, that you would take the truths of your word, you, you would apply it uh, to our hearts and our minds, our lives, that we would leave here having seen you more clearly. We just confess that we can't do this on our own. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would move freely in this place and that you would be our teacher today. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I think a lot of you uh, that know me know that I have three sons. Uh, They're 10 and 8 and 5. My oldest, Asher, 10, was born right at the end of my time in seminary. And I had taken uh, some different classes on uh, education, and one of the classes I took was what was development, developmentally appropriate for different ages. And so my professor was a wonderful, godly man that actually went to the church that Joanne and I uh, were members of. And I remember going to him and asking him, like, hey, we're about to have number one. Uh, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Uh, I'm scared to death. I don't know what this is like. And he said, hey, well, I, and I said, is there a book I could read? You know, like, and he went, um, he said, well, there's, you know, he kind of, well, this one would be good and this one would be good. But he, he did give me a book to read. I don't even remember the name of it now. And I went and I read it really quickly. And as I got through with it, uh, I remember a friend of mine saying like, uh, so what did you take away? What was this book that he gave you? I mean, we all looked at Dr. Ecker as like he was the guy. And what was the book? And I said, you know, it was strangely comforting because this book basically said, like, you're going to screw it all up really bad. <laughs> but then what it said is like, but as long as your kids know that you love them, you'll be okay. And that was basically the big point of the whole book. And I remember talking to different people about that. And I found that very comforting that it was like, OK, you're, you're going to blow it. But just keep letting them know that you love them and keep coming back to that over and over. And, and I thought about that uh, now later. It's actually a little harder than that, because then it's how do you actually show them love? And they they receive it differently. And they're also different. If you know my three boys, they are completely different in every way. Asher, uh, his kind of love language. And he wants you just to listen to him. He wants to tell you all these things that he's learned. He reads all the time and he just wants to give you lots of facts. And so you just got to stop and go, OK, lay it on me. Let's hear it. You know, it's minus 74 degrees in Antarctica right now and, and things like that. And he tells you, uh, Jed wants you to go do adventures with him and spend time with him and uh, go and just the two of you alone. Uh, Quinn wants to lay on your lap and watch cartoons, right, which is great. Uh, but they're all different Especially after a long day, it's like, yes, let's do that. (laughs) And I'm asleep in like five seconds, but that's okay. He doesn't care. Uh, But they're all different. But but my point in in, in all that is just to say, you know, just thinking about showing them love and spending that time and giving them that quality time. And it's like, I'm still trying to figure out how different they are. I can say the same thing to all three of them, and it's received completely differently. Uh, One, it's a great encouragement, and one, it's you're so mean, and one, it's not listening. Uh, But... And so you're trying to figure all that out. And so I'm thinking about that with with Genesis uh, one and what we're going to think about today, that if we know uh, what it tells us here in Genesis one twenty six, that God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And then verse twenty seven. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him. 
If we get that picture that we're made in God's image and we start to get an idea of what God's like, uh, what God's image is like, we're not going to figure everything out, but it's going to help us in huge ways as we go through this life. If we understand that big picture of what that means, that we're made in God's image and after his likeness and he's created us in this way and what that means, that's going to be huge. And just like we'll still have lots of questions and lots of things and just me stumbling through even still with my children, just knowing that is huge. And so that's what we're going to look at and think about this morning. You know, last week we looked at Genesis 1, if you were with us, big, big picture, big idea kind of thing that God's created all things. Uh, We said you're not an accident. You're not a byproduct of creation itself, that God formed man. He put effort into this. He, he made us. He made us in his image. We, we even touched on that ever so briefly last week about being made in his image. But I want us to come back and really explore what that means and think about that and the effect that has on our lives when we see that. And so this is the way I want us to do it. First, I just want us to consider what God is like, uh, to understand what he's like. And then secondly, uh, what that tells us about the fact that we're made in his image and how we should live in light of that. And then lastly, I want us to consider how do we actually do that? How do we actually live out what he what uh, he calls us to or what that looks like being made in his image? And so to start, we just need to consider what is it like? What is God like? What is his image like? Uh, Maybe you've had this happen where a friend will say to you, uh, you uh, would get along so great with my friend so and so. Have you ever had this happen? And they start to tell you, they go, oh, you and uh, Joe, you guys would get along so great. And they start to get, ha, he's so funny and he's, and you don't know Joe, right? And so they just keep going and saying this and you're thinking, okay, you know, like that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> great. You guys would be such best friends and all. It's the same thing. If we say you're made in God's image, but we don't actually know what God's like and what scripture tells us, that doesn't really help us a whole lot. I can say to you, yeah, yeah, you're made in God's image. But if we don't understand what that means, it's not really all that helpful. And so I want us just to start with big picture, big idea here, what God is like and what this tells us. And so what we see, and I mentioned this last week very briefly in Genesis one, we just get kind of in shadows, just a little piece of here in verse 26 that God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And we talked about that language that's used there. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Us, our, our. And we started to just touch on that. I just mentioned that probably one minute last week, the idea that's there. It's the Christian doctrine that we hold to of the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is three in one. And we see that kind of in shadow. The fullness of that doctrine is not in Genesis 1. We don't have the full thing here. We do have that the spirit is hovering over the face of the waters. We do get later on that the word is Jesus. And so when the father speaks and the word goes forth, that Jesus creates everything, that he's there as part of it. We know that from all of scripture, but we really get that fleshed out as we go through the Bible. As we get the fullness of what God's revealed to us. But it is here in Genesis 1. And it's important because he says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So what is that like? And I want you just to think about a couple big ideas. We often will say things within the church about the Trinity. Three in one. There's three parts equal in substance and power. God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. They're all equally God. Yet they're distinct. And that will make your head go crazy. When you start to try to get to the heart of that and really understand the fullness of this picture, it's hard to understand. It's hard for us to fully grasp this. 
But the Bible tells us this over and over all the way through. And we start to get this fleshed out, especially in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it a lot in John's gospel. And I would just point you to, I'm not going to spend time on it today, but I would just say, go read it. John 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, as Jesus is talking about the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, this starts to get fleshed out. He starts to tell you what this looks like. Jesus says things like, I only speak what the Father tells me. I only say what the Father tells me to say. Or, or there's, a, there's an episode in those chapters where Philip turns and he says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, uh, how can you say that? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's the same thing that Hebrews 1 would tell us, that Jesus is the exact imprint of the very nature of God. That is, when you see Jesus, you see God. But then when you read in those chapters in John, he starts to talk about how the Father glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father, and that the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit in the world to glorify Jesus. And you start to see the relationship and what it looks like of the Godhead in and of himself. This is the very same God that speaks in Genesis 1:26 and says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That verse there is talking about the father and the son and the Holy Spirit creating together. But here's what I want us to think about just for this morning. Big picture about God's image and what it tells us about him is that because God is three in one. Each one glorifying the other. The Father glorifies the Son and the Son, the Father, and the Spirit comes and does the same thing. It's helped me in my life to, to read C.S. Lewis when he talks about the Trinity. If you've ever heard this before, C.S. Lewis will talk about the Trinity as a dance. And it'll talk in that way. And what he, what he was saying, I think the best I understand it, is this idea of, of all three uh, of the Father and the Son and the Spirit are outwardly focused, glorifying the other, loving the other perfectly at all times. And so in my mind, this is the way my mind works, and maybe it helps you, is I think about each one orbiting around the other at the same time. Kind of like the sun doing figure eights around the Father and the Spirit and, and likewise in each of them. And all of a sudden you start thinking about them moving all together perfectly in perfect harmony, in perfect unity, in perfect love, in perfect community. And suddenly it does kind of seem like a dance. That in and of himself, and this is so important for us to understand, that God is perfect love and perfect community and perfect unity before he creates anything. All in and of himself before he decides to make anyone. And this is important for us to think about. It's so foundational for all that we believe. Love exists in and of God himself without anything else. And it exists perfectly and fully in a fullness of joy and community and relationship perfectly. Right? When we read in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God, he hasn't created anything. There he exists, Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect unity and love and community and all these things already. And this is so very important for us to consider. If we don't believe the doctrine of the Trinity, we don't hold to a triune God, then love had to come out of him creating, not in and of himself. It had to be there from all eternity in and of himself for God to exist, that love comes from him, that he is the fountainhead of all love. 
And when we miss this or we mistake this, we, we, we run into all kinds of problems. What we need to see when we stop and just think about this is that God in and of himself is all sufficient. He's perfectly joyful. He's perfectly loving. He's perfect relationship. He doesn't need anything. In and of himself. And if we miss this, we miss in so many ways. God's the center of all creation as the creator, sustainer of all of it. We talked about that last week. Nothing that is made was made apart from him. It all exists because he said so and he holds it together. He also doesn't need anything. He's not dependent on his creation in and of himself. He's complete in every way. And so when we start to think about this, I want you to think about the implications of this. We are made for God's glory, not the other way around. We are made for God's glory to point back to what he's like and the the joy and the love and the community that's in him, not the other way around. And oftentimes we we miss that or we start to talk differently or we say it differently. Oftentimes we act as if God created us and or redeemed us because he couldn't live without us. We make it man-centered. We put ourselves at the center of all of it when the truth is it's the other way around. And so I want you to think about that for just a second. The the question that then comes is, why did God create us? He didn't need anything. He was perfect in every way in and of himself. But I want you to really think about this, because when we get this, it's a wonderful truth. God created us and he sustains us and he loves us and he pursues us. And he did all out of his own sovereign free choice. There's a professor I had years ago that used to say, God loves you because he loves you. Period. There's nothing else. God loves you because he loves you. God created because he wanted to share the joy that he had perfect in and of himself, not because of any deficiency in himself, because he chose to to share it with us. There's a huge distinction. And we run into all kinds of problems when we miss that. All of creation is all about God. And that's really good news. Now, when I say that, or or I could say it another way, God is all about his own glory. As that comes out of my mouth, I know as that falls on your ears and some of you are going to go, I don't like that. Ugh. God seems very egotistical. Does it not? It's okay to say that. It's okay to go, yeah, it kind of does. God is all about God, and that's good. You go, well, here's why. God is the greatest thing there is. It would be unloving if he wasn't all about his own glory. He made us. To share with us his perfect love and joy that has always existed. He allows us to be part. If he wasn't at the center, it's crushing to us. The problem is what we do is we assign human characteristics to God. So we'll say things, and the Bible says this, that God is a jealous God. 
He's jealous for his glory. And we go, oh, I don't want a jealous God. Well, that's because we put it in human terms. If I'm jealous for my glory, that's not good. You know why? Because I'm a mess. If we made it all about me, we'd all be in trouble real quick. But if we make it all about God, that is where the fullness of your joy will be found. And God knows this. And because he's loving and because he's good, he puts himself at the center and he tells us that. We can't assign our human characteristics and our flaws to God because it doesn't work that way. And so the first thing I want you to see here is that God in and of himself, when we talk about his image, is perfect love and community all by himself, all alone. He doesn't need anything. And he's the center of all. And so I want you to just think about that. That's, that's kind of what God's like, and that's who he is, the one that holds all things together. And then he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And so I want you to think about what that means. What that means for us and why that's important. First and foremost, pretty straightforward, pretty simple. What it means for us is that we get our significance. We get joy and love and fullness of all these things outside of us and it's in God. He doesn't create us out of a deficiency in himself to complete something in him. He does so for our benefit that we can experience the fullness of that joy and love that is already there in himself. And so that means we get our significance and the ultimate of everything we're created to be outside of us in God. We are designed in love to center on him. That's where our greatest joy and fullness will ever be. So there's a very practical application to that. God is not your personal assistant. Jesus is not a guru who comes and tells you some some cool platitudes that sound nice that you can grab a few of them and add them here or there. When Jesus speaks, he's telling you the way things are. This is the way this creation works. This is what God's like. And so he will say things like, love me to the point where every other relationship in your life looks like hate in comparison to how much you love me. That's not just advice that you can take or leave. That's reality of the way the world is made. It's the picture that's there in Scripture that we were made to center on him above all else. We were made to be that way, to be outwardly focused first to him and then to other people. And so I want you to think about this picture of what scripture tells us. We're made after his image, after his likeness. We're made like him in these certain ways. And so there's some very practical things that means God in and of himself between the father and the son and the spirit are perfectly outward focused on one another in perfect love in unity and a fullness of joy and that always kind of orbiting around the other, the Father glorifying the Son and the Son, the Father and the Spirit doing the same. And they're always doing that. And now we're made in His image after His likeness. And so simply put, we are made to be outwardly focused, loving others. Because we're made after God's image. And so when we talk about what does that look like for us and how do we live that out and, and how do we begin to do that, I'm going to summarize it for you wonderfully, brilliantly. 
If you take notes, this is what you write down. And blow you away with this. You're to love God and love people. Ever heard that before? I know. Yet Jesus said it. They said, how do we summarize all the laws of God? And Jesus says, you love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself. You love God and you love people. It's because you are created in God's image after his likeness to be outwardly focused and loving others and putting them first and doing that. That's, that's the way God is in and of himself in perfection. And then he makes us like that. And so it makes perfect sense when you put that together that Jesus would say you're going to love God and then love others. That's the way you're made. That's the way you function. To love God and love people. And so I want you to think about uh, what that looks like. Now, here's the problem. I think a couple problems. There's a lot of them. A couple that were coming to mind. It's the problem is sometimes we can begin to love people yet not to glorify God. So instead of loving God and then loving people out of that. Right? When we glorify God, that means showing what God's like in the way that we love and care for other people. But what we can do is we can start to love other people so that people go, oh, he's a pretty good guy. We leave the glorifying God part out. So we go, yeah, yeah, I'll love and I'll serve lots of people and I'll do lots of things so that everybody will think I'm a good person. So that they'll pat me on the back. So that they'll give me the attaboy. Good job. But we're not ultimately seeking to glorify God and show what he's like when we're doing that. And that leads to all kinds of problems. Uh, we can, we can uh, glorify God in marriage. I think the Bible tells us that marriage God has given to us is a way to show us what God's like in Christ's love for the church. Paul says it's a profound mystery, but that's, that's basically what it's about. We get to die to ourselves and love another person. Do you see how that reflects what God's like, how it glorifies him in our relationship? But then we start to serve our spouse or do those things so that people go, oh, what a great husband that guy is. Or we start to uh, kind of grit our teeth and, and stay married and keep doing it so people go, oh, look at how many years they've been married. And we start to get our identity from that. We start to forget all about glorifying God and it's all these other things that cause problems. And so what we do is we'll start to love others, but we'll do it for what it gives us. But here's the problem when that happens. We were made to focus and center and glorify God at the center. And when we don't do that, that's what the Bible calls sin. And it causes all kinds of problems and issues. Sin is simply ignoring God and the world he created. And so when we seek to do good things but ignoring God in it, it causes problems. We seek to get our identity by those things we do instead of from God and glorifying him. And it ends in all these different issues. Or the flip side maybe of that is we say, I'm going to love God. And it's all about me and my personal relationship and forget everybody else. It's me and God. Which, by the way, the Bible does tell us there's times of solitude there's times of being alone with the Lord, seeking him in prayer, studying scripture. Those are all good things. But if we settle on just that, 
It's me and my personal relationship with God and God alone. And I don't really care about anybody else. We're missing a huge part of the way we were made. Luke read it to us just a second ago. Genesis 2, verse 18. There's only one thing before sinners, sin enters the world that God says is not good. You catch that? There's one thing. There's a whole lot of things that are not good and begin to unravel and fall apart once man sins and it enters. But before, there's only one thing that God says is not good. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Think about if we're made in God's image to be outwardly focused, loving others, loving God, Loving people, loving others, that's a pretty important part. Other people being involved in that. And so we can miss on both sides. We can make it just all about serving uh, people or loving people and leave God out. Or we can go the other way and go, it's all about me and my personal relationship with God and I leave everybody else out. And God says it's not good for man to be alone. You're made to love God and then love other people. It's your very core of your being made in God's image. That's the way you are made. So if you've, you've ever been here before, you've visited before, that's why we say over and over, hey, we have these missional community groups. We'd love for you to get involved in them. We'd love for you to begin to share your life with other people in these ways. And here's why. Because you're made in God's image and you are made for this. It's not some uh, busyness strategy so we feel better, like we've got some programs and some things to do. It's because the Bible says you are made in God's image and you're made to love God and then to love other people. It's the way we're designed. And so that's why we talk about those things all the time, that God calls us into those relationships. You're made to love God and then to love others. But here's the problem. And this is the last thing I want us to think about. How do we do that? Because sometimes it's really hard. Isn't it? Yes. I hear hear several yeses. I think that's like the opposite of amen. Like, it's hard to be sinful. You're right. It is. It is hard. There's days it's like, ah, I don't want to deal with that at all. So how do we begin to love that out or or live that out? I think the answer we come back as we begin to see who God is and what he's done and everything that we have in our life, this life itself, the beautiful weather outside, everything we see is because of God's grace. If God is completely sufficient in and of himself, he doesn't need anything, but he chooses to create us. He allows us to be part. He speaks us into creation by the power of his word through Jesus, his son. And we exist because he said so. We are created by grace. He didn't need to do any of it. He chose to do that and he allows us to draw breath and be people and live in his creation and be part of it. And have dominion and do things and build things and all this wonderful stuff that he calls us to do. And then what we do in the midst of that is we kind of turn our back on him. Say, I don't really need you in this. We forget that we're held together by the power of his word. And we go, I'm good on my own. And so what does God do? 
says, in the same way that I created you, I'm going to recreate you. By grace, through my word, I'm going to come for you and I'm going to bring you back to this. And in our selfishness, we go, ah, okay, I got it. And what does he do? He continues to pursue. He continues to be outwardly focused, loving, pointing us to relationship with him and with one another through what he does. And he continues to do it over and over and over. And you go, practically, how do I do this? This is hard. You, you can hear this sermon and you can go, we're, we're to love God and we're to love people. And you go, okay. All right, today, when I leave, I'm going to try really hard. Even though I don't want to, I'm going to invite somebody over. Might even go to a, a missional community group this week. I'll start to do these things. I'm going to try really hard. But, but when we do that and we begin to function that way, I will try harder. I'll try to love other people. I'll try to love God more. Who's at the center of that? It's, it's me. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And how do you break that cycle? How do we get outside of that? Instead of just trying harder in what I do. You stop and see that you were created by grace and you're recreated by grace. The word of God comes and he says, I love you completely and totally through what Christ has done. Yes, you've ignored me and I've made a way for you to come back. And so I'm going to send my son and he's going to die for you. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to restore you to this relationship. I'm going to bring you in and I've got you. And I want you to think about that. The same way he creates you is the same way that he recreates you. The same reason that he loved you in the beginning is the same way that he loves you now. He loves you because he loves you. I'm not asking you to get involved in things so that God loves you. I want you in these relationships, loving God and loving people, because that's the way you were made to be. That he loves you so much. He didn't have to do any of it. We often think of God sitting up there looking down and going, oh, no. How am I going to do this today? How am I going to deal with this screw up today? He's perfectly content in and of himself fully and totally. And he chooses to continue to love you. It's all his grace. It's all he's doing. We get to live in that. He invites us in and we get to live in the truth of what that looks like. We get to love God and love other people. And we need to understand there is no deficiency in him. Right? You know, the, the Bible says things like uh, commands us to praise God. Why do you think that is? Is it God sitting up there twiddling his thumbs going, oh man, if these people don't praise me, I'm going to have a terrible day today. What will I do? I'm just going to go through a day disappointed. No. The psalm says that, says that praise befits us. He commands us to praise him because that's the way we were made. It's not that he needs our praise. 
oh no, what will I do without it? He's already fully uh, content in and of himself, but he chooses us to allow us to be part of that. It's the same with loving him and loving others. You cannot earn your worth before God. It's not possible. It's all what he's done for us. And so you rest in that. We see how he loves us. And we begin to grow in that and to think in that and to grow in the knowledge of that. And you see how big he is and it grows and it grows and it grows and his grace changes you. It says he comes and he comes inside and he begins to turn you inside out. To restore you to the way that you were made. And every single bit of this is because he loves you. And he loves you because he loves you. You see what wonderful good news that is? I'm so thankful that that is true. And when we get that, it frees us to actually love other people. Instead of using other people to make you feel better about yourself. Instead of serving other people so that they'll pat you on the back. You go, no, God's got me completely and totally already. And he loves me because he loves me. And now I get I'm freed to do those things. I'm free to actually glorify and show what he's like, which is not seeking to get these things to fulfill something. I've already got it in Christ. Do you see that? Why it's so important that we understand that we're made in his image and what that looks like and how he brings us back to that. And we do. It's glorious good news. God loves you because he loves you. Period. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious truth of your word. That we thank you that you have created all good things. That you sovereignly chose to create. That you've allowed us to be part of your creation. We thank you that even when we've turned our back on you, when we've ignored you in your world, when we've gone the other way, that you continue to pursue us that you have made a way for us to come back through what Jesus has done. And all we can say is thank you. I pray that you would help us to see more and more clearly each and every day the glorious truth of what you've done for us in our lives. I pray that we would rest in the love and acceptance you give us in Christ. That you do love us. I pray that you would begin to free us to truly love other people, not by what they can give us, not by... Uh, seeking our identity from that, but truly just to show what you're like in all things and in all ways. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.